All right. Good morning, everybody. Well, that was good. First try. Yes. Open your Bibles to Luke chapter 19 as we continue going on this morning. It's uh, good to be back. It's been uh, already a busy summer with a lot of stuff going on. We got back from Mexico this last week. Um, I hope you guys enjoyed hearing from the Mexico team last Sunday. How many of you guys are sending some youth to camp next week? I was talking to some parents, said, you ready to be kid-free? And they're like, yes, yes, get them out. But we got youth camp next week, kids camp the following week, VBS a couple weeks after that. There's just so much going on, and it's, it's a lot of fun things that we're doing. And um, we are currently also planning, um, have you, I don't know how many people remember or were joined us for the outdoor service last year. Um, we're planning another one with Elim Church. Even though we're not doing VBS together, we're still working on our partnership and reaching the community and being a blessing to each other and those around us. We're planning another outdoor service next month, and um, that's looking to be a lot of fun as well. So a lot happening this summer and, and a lot going on, which is all excited about, well, that I'm excited about. And I'm also excited to continue on a couple more weeks in this series that we've been talking about. Um, I do want to give a huge thank you to Pastor Jeff for covering a couple weeks ago when I was in Mexico. And um, you did a great job, as always, and I'm very appreciative for what you do uh, here as well. Thank you, Pastor Jeff. But Luke chapter 19, we're going to dive into another principle on our finances today. Uh, we've been doing all about money talks. What does money say? What does money say to us in Scripture? And uh, we, we learned that the Bible has a lot to say, a whole lot to say about money. Over 2,000 verses in Scripture talk about our money, our resources, our stuff. And so it's something that we often don't talk about here as a church or in churches sometimes talked about in the, the wrong perspective. And so we're, we did the series, and a quick reminder, it's been a few weeks on what this is not a cry for. This is not a cry for funds. I didn't decide, you know, hey, looking at the budget, looking at income, let's do a series on money so I can guilt everybody into giving to the church. That's not what this is, all right? We're not falling apart, we're not desperate, not trying to guilt anyone, but I simply wanted to talk about it because I felt like God put it on my heart to say, hey, I talk about this a lot, let's, let's talk about it. Let's, let's see what scripture says about it. In scripture, in everyday life, money is used, and money is something that is super important to all of us. Now, we've covered the following topics the past um, four weeks of this series. We talked about how money says, serve me. Money will say, earn me. Money will say, save me. And then everyone's favorite, money will say, spend me, right? There's, there's a lot of us that like to spend money. And today we're going we're gonna, to um, start out, we're going to have two more weeks on this, but I think one, this is one of the biggest things money can say. As a matter of fact, um, this is written on our money. And it all has to do with trust. What is the phrase written on every currency, American currency? What is the phrase? In God we trust. It's written on everything. So the question is, money literally says, trust me, right? It's written, trust it. Do we trust it? Or do we trust God like it says? Trust is a, is a funny thing, right? Money says, trust me. And trust can be weird. So I'm going um, to call Theoden up here to do something. I only told him I was doing this about two minutes ago. And he still doesn't even know what we're doing. Now, it's going to be kind of hard. So I'm going to move this out of the way for just a second. You better just calm down, okay? Just calm down. All right, Theoden, do you trust me? No. I know it. So this is going to be great. <laughs> All right, we all know the trust fall. You turned around real quick. You just said you didn't trust me. I want to get it over with. <laughs> Do you trust that when I say fall, I'll catch you? Yeah. <laughs> if I was back here, what would you say? No, no. no. All right, so you got to close your eyes, though. All right, Theoden, do you trust me? 
Okay, fall. Oh, that was so easy. You're not done yet. Turn to stay there. Stay there. Okay. Do you still trust me? Okay. Whoa. I didn't even say fall yet. You're but I was right. Okay, come back here. One more time. One more time. Do you trust me? Fall. Ooh, yeah. Okay, give him a hand. That's all. Would you believe me if I told you I was tempted not to catch you on the last one? That was just a little bit. I wouldn't do that in front of everyone. I'd wait till no one else was watching, so you know, okay? <laughs> trust can be a hard thing sometimes. And tr- trust can be, someone can have it, and then when you break it, it is really hard to get back. Really, really hard to get back. And, and trust is something that, that we're, we're told to do all the time, especially when it comes to the word of God and with God, but it's also something we struggle with. Do we really, really trust that he'll do what he says he's going to do? And in the Gospels, Jesus is always revealing himself and what he came to do for us. And not only in his coming, but throughout our lives in history. And we still struggle with this concept of trusting God and not in what we can physically see or what we're physically holding or what's tangible in our bank accounts. Like that's, that's where our minds go to. I will trust in this because I can see it. I can feel it. It's tangible. The money is it's in my hands. And so we, send, we tend to trust that more than we do the giver of that. In Luke chapter 4, we see temptation come, confrontation with, with Jesus. Satan comes and he tempts him. And we ultimately see what is offered. But, but in those offerings, we see what Satan's character is versus what God's character is. And I love these things. You see, one of the things Satan's offered Jesus, he said, I'm going to give you riches and glory, money and power, right? I mean, who would say no if someone came up and said, I'm going to give you unlimited money and unlimited power, right? I mean, it's like, okay. Think of all the things I can do if my bank account never would say zero no matter what I did. Or no matter how many times I slid my credit card, the balance never rose. That'd be wonderful, right? Shopping sprees, here we come, all the fun things. It'd be tempting. You know, if someone came to you and said this unlimited, I don't know if, I don't know if anybody who wouldn't at least be stunned by the offer at first. Like, really, let's talk about this. So just the, just the thought of, this is interesting. Now, I do know. And I do believe there are many people that would say, specifically with the temptation Satan was offering Jesus, saying, if you bow to me, I'll give you these things. I do believe, and I do know lots of people that would say, no, I won't do it. But that doesn't mean there wouldn't be a part of me that would go, well, let's think about it for a second. That's why it's called temptation. It's an offer that's intriguing, right? The desire to lean into something that you know you shouldn't. But ultimately, through this temptation, we see the difference in what Satan is saying when he's saying, trust me, versus what God is saying when he's saying, trust me instead. You see, when it comes to this trust, and are we trusting in money, the Lord offers provision. He says, I will provide for you. He'll take care of our needs. Scripture says that he does it for the birds. He does it for the beasts. He does it for the least of these things, the animals in the field, the seemingly insignificant things in life he provides for. He cares for. And if those seemingly things are seemingly insignificant, how much more does he care for you? How much more will he say, I'll provide this for you. I'll do it for you because I love you. Trust me. By his nature, God is a provider. He provided Jesus with strength and sustained him when he was in the wilderness. Because of this, though, we see the opposite. What the enemy offered, the enemy of your soul, he'll offer you possessions. So I'm not going to give you provision. I'll give you possessions what you got to have. Go out and grab. Keep it for yourself. Have and collect all these things. Keep it all for you. I'll give it all to you just so you can have whatever you want. Satan says, follow me, and it's yours. It's hard to believe that Jesus even listened to what Satan was offering, but Jesus knew, you know what? It's already God's. It's already my Father's. You can't give me what's already his. 
he's already providing for me. Why would I take from you now what God is already going to provide for me later? He knows God's going to provide for him, so he turns him down. We learn that, that God, God will provide power. The Lord will provide power. And this is not the power that Satan was offering. See, this is the power in the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of God led Jesus into the wilderness to work. The Spirit of God empowered him to do things. And God says, I promise you, I will give you that same power. I will give you the Holy Spirit. And that's different than the power that the Satan was offering. The enemy of the soul doesn't offer you power. He'll offer you prominence. He says, look, you can have prominence. You can have image. You can have status. You can have everyone looking at you and saying, wow, look at you. You are amazing. You are popular. You are wonderful and you're great. But that's not what God offers. The Lord gives power to live with significance for his glory, not our own glory. The Lord will offer you purpose. He'll give you a purpose for your life. I believe everyone in here has a purpose. There's a reason you're alive. God didn't create anybody by mistake. Maybe one of my brothers. But he didn't create any of us by mistake. God has a purpose for everybody here. You have a point. God has a desire for you to follow him, to make a kingdom impact for him. Everyone here has a purpose. We will reach a community. We can raise kids to follow Jesus. We can, we can join serving teams. We can have outreach. God, there, there's so many possibilities for what God has for you Then we tap into it. The enemy does not offer you purpose. The enemy wants to make you presumptuous. Whisper in your ear, you're a special case. Do whatever you want. It doesn't matter. You, you're, more, you're more important than that person. You have this special thing about you. So he even told Jesus, you're special. Jump off. The angels will catch you. Trust me. Don't trust God. My way is better than his. When we ultimately know that's not what God offers. God gives you the purpose. We serve a God committed to providing for us. He loves us so much. He gives us purpose, and yet it's so easy for us to say, I don't want to trust in his purpose. I want to trust in the world. I want to trust in what, what I can see. I want to trust in what I earn. I want to trust in my stuff, not his stuff. It can lead us to believe that we can only be satisfied as we grab and possess getting to this meaningless existence if we, if we let it get to our heads that way. Eugene Patterson, the pastor, said this. He said, The puzzle is why so many people live so badly, not wickedly, but so insanely, not so cruelly, but stupidly. There is little to admire and less to imitate in the people who are prominent in our culture. We have celebrities, but not saints. Infamous criminals act out the aggression of timid, timid conformists. Petulant and spoiled athletes play games vicariously for lazy and apathetic spectators, aimless and bored, and they amuse themselves with trivia and trash. Neither the adventures of goodness nor the pursuit of righteousness will make the headlines. It's pretty deep, isn't it? To talk about what, what we as a culture, what, what, we, what we admire versus what gets recognized. And Luke 19, this parable we're going to read through today, it's a long one, but, but in this parable, we're going to see a nobleman or a king give 10 of his servants one mina each to engage in business while he departs uh, to receive a kingdom. And those who steward well are entrusted with cities to oversee while those who don't have theirs taken away. So if you, you join me here, Luke 19, 11 through 27, it's a big chunk, but it's, it's a great, great parable. The parable of the 10 minas, and it says this. While they were listening to this, he went on to tell them a parable because he was near Jerusalem and the people thought that the kingdom of God was going to appear at once. He said, a man of noble birth went to a distant country to have himself appointed king and then to return. So he called 10 of his servants and gave them 10 minas. Put this money to work, he said, until I come back. But his servants hated him, or but his subjects hated him and sent a delegation after him to say, we don't want this man to be our king. 
He was made king, however, and when he returned home, he sent for the servants to whom he had given the money in order to find out what they had gained with it. The first one came and said, Sir, your mina has earned ten more. Well done, my good servant, his master replied. Because you have been trustworthy in a very small manner, take charge of ten cities. The second came and said, Sir, your mina has earned five more. His master answered, You take charge of five cities. Then another servant came and said, Sir, here's your mina. I've kept it laid away in a piece of cloth. I was afraid of you because you are a hard man. You take out what you did not put in and reap what you did not sow. His master replied, I will judge you by your own words, you wicked servant. You knew, did you, that I am a hard man, taking out what I did not put in and reaping what I did not sow? Then why didn't you put my money back in deposit? So when I came back, it would have collected with interest. Then he said to those standing by, take his mina away from him and give it to the one who has 10 minas. Sir, they said he already has 10. He replied, I tell you, that to everyone who has more will be given. But as for the one who has nothing, even what he has will be taken away. But those enemies of mine who did not want me to be king over them, bring them here and kill them in front of me. Very brutal at the end there, right? But there's a point Jesus is saying. There's a reason he tells this parable. You see, we, we see some things, some, some prominent points in this parable. Two things. One is we see that Jesus is a king with a kingdom. Jesus is in charge. He is in charge of the land. He has a purpose. He has a kingdom. And second, we see we have an opportunity to serve him. We have an opportunity to be faithful servants of his kingdom while he is at work and while we wait for him to come back. See, the story has a whole lot of parables of Jesus going away and coming back, kind of like where we're living right now. Jesus is gone, but we know he's coming back, so we have a job to do while we wait. He reveals himself as the king. He wants us to understand the nature of his kingdom. So he teaches us about himself and his coming of the kingdom in this parable. A story that teaches this huge idea about responsibility and serving. Now, at this point in, the, in, in scripture, he's about a week away from his crucifixion. It's getting really, really close to that point where he's going to die on the cross for our sins. A few days later, he's going to conquer death. He's going to wipe sin away. He's going to show us victory in the, in, what, in the eyes of defeat. It's going to be a glorious moment. And he's trying to prepare everybody for this, this very real reality that I'm going to be leaving, but I will be coming back. There's a point and a purpose. And this is, again, where we find ourselves in, in the history of the world, right? Jesus is gone, but we know he's coming back. But in the meantime, we have a job. Our job as a church, the capital C church, our job is to serve him. Our job is to trust that he is coming back and that he is mindful of what we're doing and he will come back and we'll have to talk to him about it. Now, in this story, what is the one thing everyone has been given? The one thing. Now, the trick answer would say, oh, they were all given money, but it's beyond that. It's beyond money. They were all given a life and a choice. They have their life. Are they going to choose to follow their master's, their master's instructions or are they going to choose to ignore it? You see, it's not really just about investing your money. This is really about investing your life and all it entails. When God talks about giving in scripture, he's not just talking about your wallet. He's talking about your life. He wants you to give your life to him and all that it entails. He wants you to give your love, your affection, your attention, your, your, your joy, your life. That will include finances, but finances are a part of your life. He wants everything, not just a portion of it. It has to do with how we allow the supernatural work of God to work in our lives and how it releases us, it releases you, it releases me, this man, this woman, it releases people to do what God has called them to do. But that comes with trust and obedience. And then we get to the point where everything about us gets to be a blessing because we're trusting him and not ourselves or the world. See, before, before the fall, Adam and Eve were given the garden, right? And what was their instruction? Steward the garden. 
God said, I made this. I'm caring for this. It is your job. Steward what I have. And their job was to oversee. They were not owners of the garden. They were stewards of the garden. Everything they had was provided by God. He put them there. But then they decided they wanted what God said was his and not theirs. And thus entered sin, right? But, but when, when sin entered right there, there, there was a subtle transition. What happens is it showed that people started to become possessive and developed attitudes of acquisition. And that's something we can see a lot of today, right? Collectors of stuff, wanting to have more and more things. And we, we, we look at our garages and closets or storage units at times. You know, sometimes we have so much stuff, we don't even have the house for it, right? Because we, we, we live in a place where we want, we want more stuff. We are a growing culture in America. We are a growing culture of collectors, and I, I, too, am guilty of this. I have things that I, that I collect. I'm not saying if you are, have a hobby, that's a bad thing. But I'm saying when, when that becomes our focus, where we're serving and loving the world and not God, that's where it starts to get priorities out of line and things start getting us into a very self-centered mindset instead of an outward mindset. We can easily begin to fear that we will never have enough. We have to keep hoarding. We have to keep collecting. And we've got to keep giving. But God's heart for all of us, I believe this with all my heart, God's heart for all of us is to return to a posture of stewarding a posture of giving, a posture of loving each other. How amazed would it be if we allowed what God to flow through our hands to flow into others through that love, through that joy, through affection, and have that, have that be shown by the way we treat our finances. When God finds a steward, as we see in the scripture, he'll mark him, he'll bless him, and he did amazing things with the people who were good stewards with what they were given. He wants people that will say, Lord, I'll do whatever you want me to. I'll give whatever you want me to. Give me the ability to give it. If I could do anything for us for this morning, or even this series, it would be to allow us to be able to feel like if we're, ever, if we're holding on to something so tight that you know, your, your knuckles are getting white, you're like, I can't let this go, it'd be for all of us to allow whatever that is in your life to be able to say, all right, God, I'm giving this out. God, I'm releasing this. You, you have an open-handed stewardship, an open-handed generosity instead of a closed-fisted, how can I get more? How can I get more? We need to be able to say, God, it's already yours. How can I be a blessing to you? How can I be a blessing for you with what you've given me and have an open-handed generosity? So the question is how then, right? Maybe, maybe as I said that, you can, we can all pinpoint something in our lives, I think, that maybe we're doing that with. We're like, God, you know what? I know I trust you, but I really trust holding on to this more. I can't let it go. How do we move from close-handed to open-handed? And I think there's a few things from there that we can learn from this passage. One is we have to take responsibility. We've got to be responsible. Responsible something that you know, my parents tried their best to instill into me and you know, it worked in some areas and in some areas I had to you know, learn on my own, <laughs> consequences and actions. But I think we all have to take responsibility. Verse 17 tells us that God entrusts things to people and, and it shows and tells here with their faithfulness our responsibility. Our faithfulness and our responsibility is what releases authority. Think of the people in the story, what happened. Those who were faithful with it and responsible with it, they were given more, right? Jesus teaches here the responsibility of discharge of what I have will determine how much authority and influence I have as I receive as, as I steward. And that will directly ref reflect into the love and care and funds that I give out. The people that were responsible with more, they were given more. Verse 13, it talks about how the people were given responsibility to trade, invest, and do business. And if you study scripture, you'll, you'll, see, you'll see a lot that, that when, when God finds you where you are, you then determine what God is going to help you with based off of your actions. God works with you in these things. 
God wants you to take part. God wants you to take that action step. What are you going to do to give? What are you going to do to show that he's actively working in your life? And when those people did things, God met them there and said, yes, you did these things. I'm working with you to make it even bigger and even better. But a lot of it comes on our responsibility. What are we going to do with what God has given us? <clears throat> now, people, people love to read this, and, um, and even a verse in Matthew 25, and they, sometimes people even say, well, God is really just picking favorites here. What, why did he give one person this and one person that? I wish he would just go ahead and give me all that money right off the bat, right? I know I would be great if God would just give me a million dollars. I'd be the biggest giver in the world. If God gave me a million, just come on, God, show me. God, do it, right? I've had that thought before. God, if you would just pay off my house, think of everything I could do with all that extra money. God, if you just loaded my bank account, think of all the things I could do. This is not fair. God, why don't you just trust me the way that you're, you're trusting some other people that I see? I think there's an answer to that. God knows us better than we know ourselves, right? He knows us a whole lot better than we know ourselves. God knows how we will respond in situations like this come. I'd like to believe that if I've given more, if I'm given more, I will produce more. But I know that what God is looking for, and this is for all of us, I think God is looking for all of us to be the best and most responsible we can be with what he's already given us before he says, I'm going to give you more. He wants to see what we'll do with our hearts. What will we do with what we've been given so far? And how will that translate later? Now, when I, when I wanted to be a children's pastor, I remember meeting with Pastor Terry at Creekside, telling him way back in the day, this is back when I promised my wife I would never be a senior pastor, you know, when I was a liar. But um, I told her I wanted to be a children's pastor. I told Pastor Terry I wanted to be a children's pastor. This is before I met my wife. But I told him, I, was, I want to be a children's pastor. And so I started working. And I started working at the church more. I started volunteering more and, and doing behind-the-scenes prep work. And what's funny is, is he would give me a little bit. And as I did a little bit more, he, I was doing responsible with the little, he would give me more responsibility. He didn't just one day say, hey, I'm handing the entire children's ministry over to you. Steve Magoon, get out of here. Dustin wants the job. He gave me a little bit. And as I got responsible, he got, I got more. And then I got a little more responsible. I started doing good that, and then I got more responsibility. He had, me go to a, a, he had me go to a secular college, actually, at first, and get a business degree. And then I finished out theology with, with Instay and Discover Ministry School. I remember thinking, why do I need to go get a business degree? I'm not, I'm not going to be an administrator. I'm going to be on stage doing skits and goofy stuff with kids. Let me tell you how much administration involved, is involved in ministry. <laughs> There's a lot. When I got hired at Creekside as the children's pastor, it was not a full-time job. He brought me, and that's not because the church could not afford a full-time position. The church could afford a full-time children's pastor, but he brought me on part-time. You know why he did that? He didn't just want to say, all right, Dustin, here's the world. You got a full-time job. He said, hey, I'm going to give you three days a week to start, and we're going to see what you can do with three days a week. That then turned into four days a week. That then turned into five days a week. And then, believe it or not, five days a week in ministry is not full-time. Six days a week typically is, is a full-time church job. That turned, that turned into six days a week. And that became something that I grew into. But I knew, because Terry knew me. He knew me from the day I was, I think, I was five years old when he came to Creekside to be the pastor there. He saw me grow up. He saw me in the church. He probably saw something in me that I didn't see. Where, hey, if I just bring him on at you know, 60 plus hours a week, he knew maybe something would have faltered there. But if I would learn to manage my time over time, it then turned into what it turned into. And it was a wonderful time of ministry. And then over time, I would eventually as well become the youth pastor and the associate pastor. And I was juggling all three of those jobs at once. But that's because God and Terry, I was stewarded into that role. 
I was given something, and then it grew into something else, grew into something else. I can't, I can't even, and doing all three of those jobs at once, I can't imagine hiring someone and saying, hey, you're going to be youth children's and associates starting now. That's a lot to ask. But because I was faithful and trusting God and working as, as best as I could, I saw God steward those things. And I saw the responsibility come. The more I was given, the more I was responsible with, the more came my way. This is a great lesson about faithfulness that we see in Scripture that I know that we can probably point to times in our lives where we see God doing the same thing. When you're faithful to little, he can give you more. <clears throat> it's not about, when, when, it, when it comes to what God is giving you, it, it's a good lesson about faithfulness. Let me, let me start here. I want to be faithful to the Lord in all he's called me to do. I want to surround myself with faithful people. I, I think every business needs that. Business needs people that are going to be faithful to, to the mission, to what they're doing. And I think every family needs that. People to be faithful to God. People that will be faithful with what they have. And when we do that, we'll, be, we'll see God say, hey, I can give you more. You can do more. We can reach more because I know you're responsible for what I've given you. And it comes down to a, a few things. It's not just about charisma with what you're doing. It's about character. It's not about affluence. It's about influence. Those always go, but, but one that sticks around is faithful to what God says, and that's going to be the character and the influence he has. See, Jesus knows this about human nature. As people are faithful and they're responsible with what has given, been given to them by Jesus, you'll begin to see an increase in your flow, an increase in what you're able to produce, reproduce because God is working through you. Second thing is this, we have to develop a proper relationship. We see a lot of relationship issues in this parable with the, with the servants and the, the kingdom owner, right? There's one point where they say, we don't want you as our king. There's one who says, I was afraid of you. We see a lot of relationship issues here. So we've got to make sure in our, in our walk with God, we have a proper relationship. Relationships don't come easy, they come over time. But we see this in verses 19, or chapter 19, verses 20 to 21. When it comes to giving and trusting the Lord, some of us can get a little nervous, Right? Questions arise like, can I really trust the Lord? I mean, we, we heard Theoden say it. Can you, you trust me? Well, a little bit, you know. <laughs> but and, and as funny as that was, he clearly trusted me. He knew I wasn't going to drop him. He fell. He fell before I even said go. He, he, was, he was dropping. In our walk with God, sometimes we can have that same mentality, though. We can say, God said, do you trust me? And you're like, yes. But on the inside, you're like, ah, Maybe, maybe I trust you a little bit. Maybe I don't. I don't know. Can I really trust God? I mean, if I come to him, is he going to say, take everything I've got? We, we, these are legit questions that we ask ourselves, right? People can have misconceptions about God when it comes to giving and misconceptions about what he wants from us. People can, people can be, uh, maybe you're scarred from ministries that are begging for money, ministries that are manipulating and saying you have to give or else, and there's consequences there. And they, things like this can make us think that God's going to take it all. Everything you have, he's just going to take it and you'll be on the streets with nothing. Or you may think the opposite, or you may think that God is in need of everything. God needs everything you have, otherwise he can't do what he wants to do. These are both wrong lines of thought. But this all stems from one problem, and I think we see it in verse 21. It stems from fear. We see that one of the servants was afraid. He was afraid to trust the, king, the, the landowner. He was afraid to trust the mission of what was going on. He says he trusts the master because he doesn't really know the master. He doesn't know him. Now, if he knew him, he wouldn't have had that fear. If he had the proper relationship with him, he would have known what was going to happen when the master came back. And I want to make this suggestion to all of us today. You'll never really begin to know God until you make that decision to love God. You'll never really begin to know God until you make that decision to love God. And how do you grow in love? How do you, how do you grow in that love for God? 
you'll obey him. You'll obey him. John 14, 21 says this, whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. Whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. I think a key to a loving relationship with God, a key to this walk with him is, is through obedience. You want to know him better? Obey him and see how he responds. Let your love grow for him and how you act and you respond to him. Great people will ask, just want to know him better. What do I do? People ask that all the time. I just want to know him better. What do I do? I just, I'm trying, but I just can't figure it out. And, and I think sometimes we, we come to a point in relationships where we feel like we have it all figured out, right? Have you ever gotten to a point, maybe even with your spouse, where you think, I've got them all figured out, I know everything, I've got it, I've got it all done, and I, I tell you, you'll never get there. That's because men will never fully understand women, right? We'll never get there. Spouses will never fully understand each other. But the thing is, in relationships, sometimes as I'm doing counseling, people will talk about their relationship, and I like to get background on families and, and couples, and tell me more about yourself, and, and get to know you some. And, and I find out there's a common thread sometimes when issues arise. It's that, that both people will feel like they've peaked out in their growth and understanding of each other, and then as things change, they're unwilling to change. They're unwilling to shift. They, they don't want to grow anymore. They've developed to a place where they think they love each other, but if they're not doing the right things. Husbands, if you're not loving your wives... If you're not laying down your life for your wife, you're not obeying. You're not growing what God's called you to do. Women, if you're not supporting your husband, you're not his number one cheerleader, you're right there saying, I've got you, I've got your back through everything, then you're not growing and you're not obeying. It's a beautiful relationship. It's, a, it's beautiful the way God designed it, but you've got to be obedient to what God has called you to do. And when we're not growing with each other, we're not trusting what God has said, and we do the wrong things, and that's disobedience. To keep it growing in love and trust, you have to have obedience. Obedience to your vows to each other. Obedience to follow and lead the way God has called you to. Not to the checkbook, but to the heart checker. We've got to be able to trust God in what he said. He's, he's outlined it all for us. In verse 13, the Lord says, occupy it until I come. But, but this guy didn't do it. He didn't take care of it, right? He didn't trust. He didn't obey. And because he didn't obey, he didn't know and he didn't love his master. This happens with the Lord as well. P people don't grow and experience a fresh flow of his life and his love and his grace because, because maybe we're not obeying what he said. We're not doing what he's called us to do, and we're not loving him the way we're supposed to love him. Through that love comes faith and obedience and trust in him and not our stuff. To grow in Jesus, we always have to be able to, to take some risks. Faith is a risk. It's risky. But when we do what he speaks, what he tells us to, that's when life and joy comes. Then we need to deal with the wrong attitudes. Sometimes when it comes to, to money, we can all have a wrong attitude, right? A wrong attitude towards a person, the thing, the stuff, but, but we got to really check our attitudes. And at, at times, I, I've actually wondered, like, you know, God, why am I not more generous than I am? I, I, I think I'm a generous person. I, I, I know when, when I give and I, I like to give to, to different people and things and, and stuff, but why am I not a bigger giver? And I think if you've ever wrestled with this question, I know for me it comes down to these two things. One is because I'm just not willing to invest and give sometimes. I say, you know what? I just, just don't want to do it. And second, it's because sometimes I believe I'm the reason for what I have. I wrestle with this sometimes, and, and maybe you fall under one of those two things. I think the second one is, is more commonly what I've, what I've heard and dealt with and, and talked with people before, and it comes down to things like this. Um, you know, the, on money, it says, in God we trust, but when we get money, we say we trust God, but, but ultimately, when we got that money, the thought is, you know what? I worked really hard for that paycheck. 
I worked a lot of hours this week. I put my blood, sweat, and tears into what I'm doing. So when that hits my bank account, that is mine. I, I work two jobs. I, I do this. Not, not me for real. I just what people say. I, I work two jobs. I'm doing this. This is, this is everything I've worked for. This is my money. That is my bank account. I'm going to hold on to this thing on that white knuckle thing. I worked hard for this. I am the reason I have these things because of my hard work, and this is mine. Deep down, people can be convinced that we are the reason we've acquired everything we have, and it is because of ourselves only. Now, while I do believe hard work is important, I do believe we need to work hard. And I, I think I said this a few weeks ago. Don't, don't go to your job and say, I need to work less because my pastor said it's not yours anyways. Go, go to work, work hard at your job. Give it your everything. But know that God is the giver of your ability to do that job. God is the giver of those resources. It is his first before it's yours. Psalm 24.1 says, The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. Capitalize that word, everything in it. The world and all who live in it. Don't believe that it's all you. That, that's going to lead to possession. That's going to lead to selfishness. And you'll become fearful that you'll, if you want to give, you're just going to have to work harder. You're just going to have to work harder, and it's going to make it feel like it's all on you. I think sometimes the reason people are not loving and caring or, or giving is because there isn't a flow of, of the love of God in their life in the first place. That's got to be what starts with everything. Start with the love of God. Start with the obedience and following him. If you don't, then, then whatever love you have, you're, you're manufacturing on your own, and that tank is just going to deplete and deplete and deplete until there's nothing left. Let God fill you up. Be tapped into him as the giver of all your resources, all your love, all your joy. The Old Testament talks about emptying your barns, and the only way you can do this is to know who filled them. Know that God fills it and allows us to empty you may have good finances, good business, you may be loving life, but if you don't realize that it's God doing those things and God blessing you, it's going to empty out. It's going to empty out, and you'll never feel satisfied or fulfilled because you're just looking at something empty that you feel like you have to replace instead of God working through you. But if you look at it as, look at what God is doing. Look at what God has given me. If you do that mind, that mind shift, it's easier to trust him and say, hey, he's given me this, so I can He's given me this so I can give it out. I get to trust him and not what I'm giving out, but trust that he's working through me as I do it. We learn to trust, we learn to obey, and we learn to love. And then we learn that we can't be selfish. We can't be selfish. Selfishness in a person shows that while they may give some, the main focus is still on you. More concerned about what is coming than what is going because we live in a small world of wanting to keep things to ourselves. Scripture says God is concerned that, that we would be entangled by the things that Luke 8 talks about, like weeds and thorns, and they come to choke and strangle out what God is doing in our lives. But if we keep the focus on him, we get to stay out of the weeds and thorns. We get to focus on being givers and trusters of his word and not ourselves. I want to invite the worship team out as I get ready to, to close this. I believe that in this, in this story and in this parable, we, we see that there are really two kinds of people. Two kinds of people that they're focused on. The first group of people is the givers. There are givers. There are, there are those who live life with open hands and open lives. Like the, Jesus talks about the, the, the nobleman, right? He's the giver. He says, I'm going to give you this. I'm going to give you that. And he goes out. When he comes back, the people that were responsible, he gave more. He said, oh, you had 10? I'm going to give you, you. You turned it into 10? I'm going to give you 10 more. You turned it into five? I'm going to give you five more. He's a giver. And then we learn that there are takers. Those who feel entitled. Those who keep it about themselves. Those who say, I'm just going to keep it all for me. 
I'm not going to give. I'm going to stay focused on myself. 2 Peter 2.20 says, don't be entangled with the affairs and corruption of the world. It, it gives a picture of spider webs that spin around. And, and what eventually happens is we start spinning our own web of, of selfishness. And what happens is we get caught in our own ambitions, our own desires, our own ability to say, I'm trusting in this because I can hold it. I'm trusting in my money because I can hold it. It's mine. I'm going to be selfish with it. What ends up is we, off, we, end up off, we end up being way worse off than we started. Just like the landowner in the, or the, the servant in the story who was given the one and didn't do any, not only did he lost it, but he was thrown out. We can be worse off than we started if we don't trust what God is doing and we trust in the world instead. So today, don't get caught up in the world. Don't get caught up in trusting the world. Don't get caught up in trusting in, in the money or finances itself. Trust in the giver of the finances. It's printed on the money, in God we trust, the challenge is next time we spend it, trust that you're doing what God wants you to do with that. Trust that every dollar you spend is something that God put on your heart for a mission. God's put on your heart for a purpose. Be a steward of what he's given you because in the end, it's already his. We're stewarding what's already his. Amen? Would you stand with me? God, I thank you for today. God, I thank you that, um, God, I thank you, that you, you trust us with so much. I pray that as we, as we leave here today, we learn that it is in God we trust. We don't have to trust the dollar. We don't have to trust the resources or the, the finances. We trust the giver of the resources. And I pray that for everybody in here, God, you stir in our hearts. How can we be better stewards of it? How can we be better givers of it? How can we be better trusters and lovers and obeyers of you with what you've given us? So God, stir in our hearts. Show your love to all those around us and allow us to reach people for you, even through our resources that you've entrusted us with. We thank you, love you, and everybody said, amen. amen.